Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hey, so good to see you. I'm excited to be able to connect with you and to be able to bring you something from the Bible today to help us to be able to make sense of our lives, to be able to connect with God and to be able to, I believe, hear from him. Why don't you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, have mercy. It's a great prayer, just a really short prayer, but Jesus said it's, it, if we pray like that and we really mean it from our heart, we can guarantee that God's going to hear that prayer, which is great because we are in a year of mercy here at Ivy Church. Uh, that's what 2021 is going to be all about for us. We're asking, Lord, show us more about what mercy really means. I mean, you see, we complicate religion and, and what Christianity is or, or, and all of these different kinds of things. We complicate life and make it very complicated. But when one day the prophet Micah was praying and connecting with God people were saying all kinds of things about how you might uh, what 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 it was to please God what did you have to do to please God and he boiled it down to to three things And, and God says you know I've shown you he says he has shown you oh man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God and and see lots of our problems come however my problems come because even despite the best of intentions, if I'm honest, we don't even do those three things very well, do we? You know that last, year, last week we looked at, we mentioned 10 commandments from God. Here's just three things that God asks us to do. But, you know, in a time when the people were asking, what rituals do we need to perform to please God? What religious sacrifices do I have to offer? What price do I have to pay? Somebody said, do I have to give like a thousand animals as offerings? And, and somebody else said, well, no, you know, what, should we do what the pagans did? Should we give our firstborn children to pay for our sins? But the one who gave his only son for sinners like you and me, said, no, I'm not interested in your sacrifices. I don't need any more of your external religious rituals. What I want is this. I want you to act justly and I want you to love mercy and I want you to walk humbly with me. See, it's like the time when the Pharisees were moaning because Jesus was in the house of a guy called Matthew. He just literally called this guy, who was a tax collector, to follow him. And Matthew was so delighted. He invited all of his friends around. There was all these people that the religious establishment said they're exactly the kind of people who a rabbi should not be hanging around with that kind of riffraff. And yet he's having this party, and Jesus is right in the center of them all. And, then it, and, and they were moaning and complaining about that. And then on hearing this, he says, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he says, for I've not come to call the righteous, or people think that they're righteous, but sinners. And the, the, by the way, the homework that he gave those religious scholars who really should have known better to go and look again, the passage that he wanted them to look at again and do rather than just discuss was also from the prophet Micah. So hands up. I can't see you, but I'm still asking you to engage with this. Hands up if you always act justly. Okay, rate yourself on this. On treating everybody the same, no prejudice, which is actually the opposite of acting justly. You, you just want to, you, you care about the fact that everybody just gets treated well. 
Everybody doesn't just get treated equally, but everybody gets treated well. Do you literally do justice? Not, do, not just think it's a good idea, not just agree with it and, and like it when it happens and when you get it for yourself. Do we apply the same standards to, to myself as I do to other people? So that's a kind of one to ten thing. I'm asking you to, to give a score, one to ten, for yourself on do you act justly and then number two how much do I love mercy score of one to ten not just to receive it everybody loves it when I receive mercy we're talking about being merciful to others and I hope that through this series we're going to find out how amazing mercy really is we're going to get some revelation from God about mercy so that we're going to love it even more and there are various words that we can translate from the Bible as as mercy last week we looked at one rakum and uh, there was a video about that and we've just had that one ahavar at the beginning of 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 today which is you know they again they can translate rakum as compassion or mercy and and ahavar can be translated as love but it can also be translated as mercy because the Hebrew language is so much richer than ours but here, the one that, that, is, that Micah used is another one. It's chesed. You've kind of got to watch you don't spit on people when you say it. It's like this chesed. And, and again, this is such a famous word throughout the Bible. It could be translated as, as love. It is translated as mercy here. And this isn't some sentimental thing, though. This is steadfast. This is strong. This is faithful and unchanging mercy. It's like when you show somebody to mer- mercy to somebody who really doesn't deserve it because they've broken trust with you. It's like somebody who's hurt you. I'm not suggesting anybody should stay in a relationship where they're going to be abused and be hurt, but this is the same kind of merciful love that was shown when a guy called Hosea, who was another prophet, was told to go and marry a woman called Goma, who was a prostitute, and how much mercy would be required to maintain that relationship when she just kept going off and and breaking the, the trust all of the time. And yet God did that to show This is what it's like for me to relate to you. This is what it's like for somebody who's perfect to relate to somebody like me who is so unperfect. And that's why we all need his mercy. So again, score yourself one to ten on on how much you love mercy. And then number three, God wants us to humbly walk with him. That's how we get to walk closely because the the book of Psalms says that he knows the proud from afar. God, God like puts us at a distance when, we, when we're proud because often we'll say, I don't even really sure I need you. And this is actually the only time in this passage that the, the word sanar is used in, in Hebrew in the whole Bible. It could actually be translated as modestly. Walk modestly with your God. Be, don't be a big head. Be, be big enough to do little things. It's, this is about knowing yourself well enough that you don't have to show off I'm not trying to make an impression all the time I'm not always caring about what everybody thinks about me all the time I'm actually not thinking about myself very much instead I'm focusing on how I can love other people and not how I can get them to love me so score yourself on that one one to ten and anybody by the way who gives themselves a 10 or 11 on humility probably needs a recount of some kind so the reason is with all these things nobody but Jesus ever got a perfect score that's why we needed him to swap papers with us we all fall short that's not up for debate to be honest I don't think I've ever met anybody who ever said you know what I think I'm perfect in every way we've all slipped 
We've all sinned. We've all failed. We've all fallen at times. And even if there were only those three things to work at, I don't think any of us could say, I have a perfect score. That's why we need mercy. And that's why I'm delighted that this is Ivy's year of mercy. And we looked last week at the story of Jonah. We started to look at that. And we're looking at it again in our grow groups. I encourage you to join one of our grow groups where you can go even deeper. We had an amazing study in my grow group in the week looking at this. We looked at how Jonah ran away from God. But really what he was running away from was, was God's plan for him. He thought there were some people in Nineveh who, who he wanted to put outside of God's mercy. He didn't think that those people deserved to get God's mercy. They were sinners. They were the people who didn't need, they shouldn't get any rachum, they shouldn't get any, any uh, ahava, they shouldn't get any hesed kind of merciful love because he didn't like them. That's why. And, and now we say, that we said last week, that when, when the Hebrew people confess their sins, what they say is, I am Jonah. Because they recognise that sin is, is less about a list of some things that you do or don't do. It's about running away from God. It's about running away from who God wants you to be. And that's what Jonah did. And it took him down to the port of Joppa, where rather than go east, where God wanted him to go, he got a boat to a place called Tarshish, which was just as far west as you could possibly go. And you know what? There's always a ship waiting to take you to Tarshish. Have you discovered that's true? I don't, you know, do you know, what I mean by that is this. It's actually really hard sometimes to, to follow God. And do what he says. It feels like it's hard, but it feels so much easier to do what I want to do, or to be. And the world will conspire to help you not to do the things that God wants you to do. There'll always be a a, a ship to Tarshish. Jesus said, "There's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many walk in it. And there's this narrow way that, that leads to life, and few find it. Are you one of the few?" who's found this narrow way to live. It feels narrow, but actually is is the way to freedom. In his mercy, God sends a storm to wake Jonah up before he was too far gone. Thank you, Lord. I know what that's like. He sent storms in my life, many storms over many years, so many times. And it was just to wake me up because I'd realised I was going the wrong way. I had no idea where I'd be now if God hadn't sent those storms, when I was just trying to steer my own course through life. Around the age of 21, I was totally self-focused. I was just doing my own thing in life. Even though I had a sneaking suspicion that, that there was God and that he was real, I'd kind of successfully closed off any connection to God from, you know, from early on from being a child because I wanted to be God. I didn't want there to be a God except me. And, and what that ended up with, the path it took me down was I was just spiraling down, down, down on a downward trajectory, hurting a lot of people, drinking hard, at nightclubs just about every night that I could be there, many different partners, treating people very badly because I thought I was it and so I could. I was wild. I was aggressive because I thought I was invincible. And people might look at me now and you think you know me. You've got no idea who I used to be. You don't know who I was. And, and I was actually on the sick with a cut hand 
from a fight, but it didn't stop me going into a nightclub one night. And so I came out of that nightclub in the early hours of the morning, a different club than I'd ever been to before, and suddenly found myself surrounded by four blokes. And somebody, it turned out, pointed me out as being an off-duty police officer at the time. And one of them started talking to me in my face to distract me. When, while, as he was talking to me, bang, somebody hit me on the, on the side of the face. And then smack, somebody punched me right on the nose, right in the face. And then I was just surrounded by these guys as they were punching me and kicking me and and you know people die like that all I could do was cover up until it did finished until they tired themselves out on me and in, in the, you see, no. see in the middle of the storm Jonah owned up about who he really was and what he'd done to the people around him the people around him who didn't know God he, he the reason for the storm that they were all involved with was him because he was on, and see, we think our sin will only affect us, but so often it affects so many other people around us and messes it up. And in the end, all he could say when they're saying, what's the cause this? He says, you know what? Throw me overboard and it's going to stop. It's like, I'm, you know, they asked God to forgive them. They didn't even want to do that, but in, which is in complete contrast to Jonah, who it seems is still completely, um, he, you know, he doesn't care at all. He's oblivious really, to the consequences of what's going to happen, even when he's walking the plank. He'd rather die, you see, than do what God wanted. He'd rather end his own life than do what God said and go to Nineveh. And then, again, in his mercy, God sent a fish to swallow Jonah up, where Jonah stayed for three days and three nights. Process time. Stinky time inside this fish. Because what got him there was stinking thinking. And he only got out after he hit rock bottom. Sometimes that has to happen to us. Sometimes we've got to have something dramatic happen to us. If we're that foolish, something has to happen to us because most people don't change when we see the light, but when we feel the heat. The morning after I was beaten up, I remember, I can never forget, looking in the mirror and seeing my head and my face and, and the bruises that were coming out. And I just saw this unrecognisable me in the mirror. And I knew I was not invincible. I realised how fragile we all really are. And that night, I went through a storm and it was horrible and it scared me. But it also, I think, prepared me for just maybe a month or so later in a different club, nightclub, on New Year's Eve when I met a girl called Zoe in this nightclub. And... Later on, she took me to be able to hear somebody who told me about Jesus, who was battered, who was bruised, who, was, who, who took it all for me, for my sins. And I'm not saying right there and then that I decided to become a Christian. But I realised and began to think maybe there is a God of mercy. Chapter 2 of Jonah's story, maybe it starts to help us to see something about the realisation that Jonah was coming through. Jonah's story tells in chapter 2 that God met Jonah where he was at, not where he should have been. How merciful is our God? See, God met me in that nightclub again, in the person of this person called Zoe, who I'm now married to. This is how merciful he is. He will meet us where we are, not where we should be. 
The journey for Jonah from the day he started running away from who God is and, and what God wanted him to do was just down, 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 down. It always is. It says, if you read it, he went down to Joppa. He went down into a ship where he fell asleep, down in the hold. And then the, the, the sailors reluctantly throw him down into the sea because he's so selfish, as I say, that he'd rather die than have other people receive the mercy that he expects for himself. And then here he says, in the prayer that Matt read to us before, God threw him in the water and he says to God, you threw me into the depths. And again, that can sound quite religious and holy and all that kind of stuff, but actually it's not true. Because God didn't do that to Jonah. He did that himself. He just doesn't want to take any responsibility. God didn't throw him in. Jonah's still throwing a tantrum. He, he threw, he got them, he actually didn't even take responsibility to throw himself in. He got other people to, to throw him into the water. These other poor suckers on the ship had to do it for him. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, it says. And in verse three, he says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. What's he doing? He's blaming God. I said, I've been banished. He's having this pity party. It's like, I'm, I'm away from you, God. I, you know, you, you're, you're so far away from me. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. See, that's all he's thinking about still, the holy temple. Where's the holy temple? Jerusalem, back where he came from, the place that he loves and wants to be. That's all he's thinking about. Nothing about where God wants to call him to. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Ooh, look at poor me. Look at my hair. (laughs) Down to the, the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. See, how low can you go? He's going lower and lower. He sunk down beneath the waves somewhere in the Mediterranean as the waters close over him. And then what happened was that God in his mercy sent a submarine, didn't it? And now he's inside the belly of this great fish. But he's just spending days there sulking and moaning. And he goes down and down and down to the roots of the mountains, to the rock bottom of the sea. Eventually, he says he's buried down in Sheol, which was the Hebrew word, what they thought of the place where you go when you die. See, he has to go through hell down there before he can ever finally come to the end of himself. Some of us know what that's like. I look back on times before I knew God. In fact, who am I kidding? I look back on various times since I've known God. And, and times when I mess up and I can feel so unworthy. And then I, what do I do? I keep God at a distance. Because I can, I, maybe I can't, I can't believe how merciful he would actually be to me. Most people don't have a clue. Most people don't understand how merciful God really is. That's why it's great we're doing this series in this year of mercy. See, this is why people avoid God. This is why they're afraid of God. This is why they run away from God or feel like he's distant to them because they have become distant from him. They don't understand the mercy of God, but when you do, everything, and I mean everything, changes. When you realise, as we saw last week, mercy is God's identity card. It's the most commonly used word to describe God in the Bible. And it's the name, as we heard last week, that he wanted to be known by. Because he gives us what we need, not what we deserve. When you meet the love of God, you start to love mercy more and more and more. 
People who love mercy find their anxiety starts to decrease and their peace of mind will start to increase. When we come with open hearts and minds, and I've asked us to start praying maybe with our hands open to God and saying, Lord, have mercy. What you find when you pray that kind of prayer is your frustration diminishes, your satisfaction increases, your stress goes down, your stability levels go up. I love mercy. Do you love mercy? If you do, write it in a comment or something like that, just to say, yeah, I love mercy. See, you wouldn't have been born. You wouldn't be able to write the words, I love mercy, if it wasn't for God's mercy. You wouldn't still be alive apart from God's mercy. We need mercy every second, every breath you've ever taken, every drink you've ever drunk, every, every, you know, just everything comes from God's mercy. And last week, I started out trying to define mercy for us while at the same time admitting we're going to spend forever, the rest of our lives and all of eternity, finding out more and more about what God's mercy is really like, because it's so huge a subject, such an amazing attribute of God. But I said that mercy is this, when I don't get what I deserve, but I'm given what I need. See, mercy is not just not getting what I don't deserve. See, that would be, uh, not getting what I deserve, that would be clemency, God doesn't just forgive us, he gives us what we need to turn us around and change. Acquittal might discharge a debt that I owe. Maybe my business failed and and I'm let off the debt. That's okay, that's acquittal if you like. But mercy gives me the money I need as well to start a new business. On the cross, Jesus shed his blood so that we don't get punished for our sins. We don't get what we deserve. And there's power in that blood to break the chains, to wash away the stains of our sin so that we're no longer slaves anymore to that old life. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us what we need to be able to live out the new life that he's given us and bought for us. And in a few minutes when we pray, I'm going to invite you to stop running away if you've been running. Just admit it and stop where you are. Don't take another step and turn around and turn back to this merciful God. We'll pray and I want you to say yes online when we do. So you'll know when we can celebrate with you because we all stumble, but we haven't stayed there. You came back home to God's mercy. See, we talk about this a lot at Ivy because we have this discipleship pathway. We've got some people doing a pilot course as we talk to a publisher too who wants to help us put out the course nationally because we don't just want people to become a Christian. We actually want to be one. So... How does that work? Discipleship growth path. I'm going to run through it really quickly. We've done a whole series on this, but I just want to remind you of it or help you understand it if you're new to us here at Ivy. See, what happens is is you discover the love of God and then he delivers you from the old life so that you can live a new life. As we devote ourselves to his word and to prayer and to one another, you develop your God-given influence and you grow your God-given spiritual gifts and then he wants to deploy you and send you back into this broken world to help other people find their way back to him too. It's a journey we will never ever finish in this life. And from any part of it, we can actually lose our way again. We can actually run away again if we're not careful. But however far away you run, it's always only one step back to God. And he meets us where we are when we're lost and alone because he longs for us to be found and at home with him and his love so I'm going to pray later and I'm going to invite you to to pray and say yes to that and if you do that everything can change 
All kinds of things in our lives start to change when we pray in that way to God. So, yes, God forgives us. Yes, God loves to have a party whenever we come to know him. But it doesn't just finish there. See, the most famous runaway story in the Bible is not Jonah. It's the one we call the prodigal son. He, he's the guy, if you remember, he wanted his inheritance early. He wanted everything that was coming to him now. So the father gave it to him and he took the money and he ran. And then he squandered it all so outrageously that his goody two-shoes brother back home read about in the paper how his younger brother was wasting everything on wine, women and song. And he didn't do a lot of singing. One day, however, he hit rock bottom because all the money ran out and his friends ran out and he ended up, his, he wasn't in the belly of a fish but his stinking thinking got him into this place where actually it was his own belly that started to rumble as he looked at these pigs and what they were eating and he began to think, hmm, actually it doesn't look so bad and that was the wake up moment for him. See, he'd been looking for a high, but everything that he looked for just took him down, down, down. And then one day, no idea how long it took, Jesus says this, he came to his senses. So he heads for home and he, and he, and he asks, maybe I could, I could start to slop out at my dad's farm. But his father had been waiting and watching and watching and waiting. And, he, and, and as soon as he saw him, he ran, the father ran to come and grab him. As soon as he got a glimpse of his son, he came to grab him. And even though he smells like the pigs, even though he's covered in rags, God's mercy means he's not repulsed by us. No matter what we did, he's drawn to us. Our word mercy derives from a Latin word, misericordia. And literally it means opening one's heart to wretchedness. Opening one's heart to wretchedness. See, what does the son deserve? Judgment, condemnation, at least a good telling off, a tapping foot, crossed arms and go to your room. He doesn't get what he deserves. The father says instead, quick, let's start a party and get him out of those stinking rags and, and, it, and I'm gonna, I want you to give him some stuff. I want you to give my, my boy a ring and a robe and sandals. And again, this is all this discipleship pathway, what it's all about. It's about God giving us, not what we deserve, but also what we need. And so, yes, as I say, God forgives us and he throws a party for us and he celebrates. And we'll do that today if you say, I want to start my relationship with Jesus. But remember, that's just the start. It's just the start when we give our lives to Jesus. Now he wants us to live our lives for and with him. We don't get what we deserve, but he gives us what we need. And what we need... The picture then, if you read Luke 15, is that, is that what the father gives him. He gives him a ring, which is the sign of authority. This means you can do things for God now and forever. And he gives him a robe, which is the sign of identity. That means you can belong in the family now and forever. And the sandals mean you've got places to go. You've got missions that he's going to send you on. You have destiny all because of mercy. So remember, the first part of my definition of mercy was this. God doesn't give us what we deserve, but what we need. But I want to add to that. Maybe you're making notes on this series to add to that, to expand it. Here it is. Mercy means that God meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He never leaves us there. Matthew chapter 12 it says one day another group of Pharisees were moaning about Jesus and picking at him and, and testing him and demanding some kind of sign. Come on, prove that you're the Messiah. 
And Jesus said this, these words. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, by the way, the Greek word there, ketos, is fish, it's not whale, nothing to do with whales. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he says this, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Some people treat all of this passage as just being Jonah's story as being a legend. And I'm not going to waste time arguing with anybody about that. But I'm just going to stick to it and read it and believe it as if it happened. Because I believe this is God's word to us. And because Jesus told the whole story like it was for real. And he could have said, oh, by the way, it was a story. And he didn't. So I'm sticking with what he said. He even actually compared what, was happened, what happened to Jonah to what would happen to him. Not figuratively, literally. His own journey down into darkness. Started in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then down to the Mount of Olives. And then down on the cross. And down from the cross, down into a tomb. And then down into hell itself to preach freedom. And set captivity free. And then, then he rose again to glory on the third day. Jesus said that was the only sign that anybody was going to get. They didn't want to believe him anyway, no matter what he did. That's why he said that those famously wicked Ninevites that they were complaining about, that Jonah ended up reluctantly preaching to, would end up better off than them. Because they didn't just hear the message, they did something about it and it changed them. Whereas these so-called religious scholars thought they were too good to need to change. That's why he said he didn't come to call the healthy people who don't think they need a doctor, but sinners, people like me, who know how much we need the medicine of mercy. Okay, verse one of Jonah. Remember, he says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And loads of his prayer comes straight out of Psalms. Maybe as many as 10 Psalms. What's inside you comes out when you're squeezed. And he had loads of Bible, loads of scripture inside of him. And lots of time to think about it too. So Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. And then he went into this submarine sob story I talked about before. But around verse 6, I wonder if something started to change. He's had this brush with death. He's had to die to something. Sometimes that has to happen before God can bring any kind of new life. He's gone on and on about how terrible the ordeal is and he's been blaming God for it. But then notice what happens. He says this, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. He thought his life was over. But after remembering God's word, he actually remembers who God is. And he remembers what he should never have forgotten. God's a God of mercy. I don't know, to be honest with you, whether Jonah actually fully ever really changes at this point or at any point in all of the rest of his story as we carry on and look at it. He never actually says he's sorry, by the way. Doesn't do here. Sometimes we wait until somebody says they're sorry before we think about starting to give them another chance. But Jonah's always in such a sulk. I think God might still be waiting if he was waiting for that to happen. The nearest this gets to me as I read it, it's a bit like one of those sorry, not really sorry things that politicians do all the time. And maybe it's just a step in the direction and it seems to be good enough for God to start to work with. 
it's enough to make a fish puke. But God still works with it. How much sorry do you think God needs in his mercy to start to work inside of us? Look again, verse 8. Jonah's still pointing at other people rather than thinking about himself, I think. When he says, those who cling to worthless idols, literally the word there is empty nothings, turn away from God's mercy to them. Isn't that true? So many things that we hang on to or hunger for and they just deceive us and leave us empty in the end. And who's he thinking about? He's probably thinking about the Ninevites again. He's thinking about those people who don't worship God like he does, those idol worshippers. And reading the rest of the story, there's no way that he's yet come to see what an idol national pride can be. There's no way he's seen the idol of racism that's inside of him that is making him hate other people and think they don't deserve. He's limiting God's mercy. He's saying they're not going to get it. And we've seen some of that, haven't we? How terrible that can be. Lord have mercy. But I don't just mean in the news. I mean in me. See, I find it easy to see sin in other people while denying it in myself. I'm always painting myself as being one of the good guys because the things that you love about others are the things that you like about yourself. And the things that you can't stand about others are the things that you can't see in yourself. And that's what Jonah's still doing. While being all religious and carrying on his religious show, he's making an idol of his independence. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Remember, he's still contrasting with those people. I'm not like them. I'm a good person. But does God want Jonah's sacrifice? No. What does he want from us? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with me. None of us do that all the time. But there's one thing that will keep you away from God. Pride. Our sins don't have to keep us away from God. But our pride will that's why we need to walk humbly with our God Jonah's not there yet I don't think he's still in the dark he's submerged the only glimmer that he might be changed instead of doing some religious cover-up for me is in the last line of his prayer after all the psalms he's been quoting and spouting finally Jonah gets real in like one sentence at the end of his prayer when he simply says something like you know what God only you can save me nobody else can do it that's it and that's what starts the turnaround he says what I have vowed I will make good I will say salvation comes from the Lord and then the fish vomited him on dry land what a lovely picture and as we look at this next time we're going to see that God next sends him to Nineveh to do what he wanted him to do all the time the first time he gets him back on track because God's mercy meets us where we are but it doesn't ever leave us there God's mercy doesn't even just take us back to where we got it wrong he leads you on to a place where you can now get it right that's mercy isn't it see we might think and I'm sure Jonah would have wanted to go back to Israel and even though that's where it all went wrong but God's mercy doesn't just take us back it always always leads you forward I'll never forget that time I was driving to work somebody had lent me a tape in the days of tapes I was listening to this song that somebody had given me and uh, just to help me figure out what Christians believe and it said one line hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered that was all it took that's what God hooked me with 
Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. I knew this is for you. God, his love is for you. His mercy has come from, to meet me and to change me. And, and I just said yes to that. So let's pray now. Everything changes when we're just honest to God. Let's ask the Lord. I'm asking the Lord to make his presence known and to be felt with you right where you are. Where, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're listening, whenever that's happening, no matter how far away we are, no matter how far away we might have run from his love or his purposes, his mercy is running after us and he's going to find us and he's going to reach us. No matter how fast we run, his mercy can catch up with us and he wants us to stop running and to come back home, to be, stop being a prodigal start being a loved son and daughter as we pray now and it doesn't really matter what the words you say are God's not impressed with our words even if it's full of psalms this is more about humility when you know you need mercy and you ask for mercy as I talk with the Lord as you talk with the Lord you can, you can say this along with me and and join in and start to be saying me too and then we're going to worship him but I'd ask you so we can celebrate with you too and we can help you and be encouraged ourselves let us know that you're asking for his mercy today and say amen at the end dear Lord I need your mercy put your hands out pray Lord have mercy on me a sinner Lord teach me to love mercy thank you that your mercy means you won't give me what I deserve but what I need I've gone my own way I've chased empty things I've lived by my own plans and ideas and not yours but salvation comes from you so save me save me from my sins save me from myself Save me from all the ways that I keep on stumbling. Help me to walk humbly with you. Lord, thank you that your mercy has found me and meets me now where I am, but you won't leave me there. You love me as I am, but you love me too much to leave me like this. So please forgive me by your mercy. Help me to forgive others by that same mercy and to love this world as you have loved me. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.